You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Your life is precious and your gifts are needful. We are not citizens of this earth, but we're citizens of heaven. And so we cannot and should not seek to escape the enemy that is inside. Fears, turmoil, anxiety, things like that by running to the enemy that's on the outside. Drugs, alcohol, sex, entertainment, things like that to try and escape. But rather, we cry out to God. We need to have faith, and we need to run to the arms of Jesus. David himself, when he fled from Saul into the cave of Abdullam, he wrote in Psalm 57, 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. You see, he's recognizing in that moment, earlier in his life, that these calamities will pass by, that God is with him and will protect him and preserve him as he trusts in the Lord. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 63 together. This is another Psalm of David. This is when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So he was running from Saul, would have been before what we're reading about today. And this is what David wrote concerning that time. He says in Psalm 63, starting at verse 1, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands to your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. He's saying, even though I'm in this wilderness, even though I'm running for my life, even though me and my men cannot find food all the time and water all the time. I'm going to praise you as if I had a feast before me. I'm going to worship you and magnify your name. That's the best thing, friends, that you can do when you're in a trial. Praise Jesus. Lift up your hands to the Lord and magnify him with your lips, and he will lift you up out of this discouragement and this despair and he brings hope and he loves the faith did you know the bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people he dwells in those praises i'll never forget and i've shared this before but jeremy camp when he found out that you know his 
his, uh, it was his fiance at first and she had cancer and she went into remission and then they got married. They went on their honeymoon. They came back and her cancer came back and then the Lord took her home. And there he was in the hospital room in this moment of despair and grief and God spoke to his heart and said, worship me. And we might say, how cruel. <laughs> Let the guy grieve for a while. But you see, God knows that the best way to deal with our grief, our sadness, our despair, whatever it be, is to praise him and worship him. And he did. And boy, God has blessed his worship ministry, hasn't he? If you've heard of Jeremy Camp, you know. And so, worship. This is where David's heart is, even in the midst of this wilderness experience. In verse 6, it says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Verse 9, but those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Now these are some words of faith, friends. And this is how God would have us to respond in any given situation. But the good news is, is God's grace is with us irregardless. If you are a child of God and have received Christ as your Savior and invited him into your life and you are saved and you are his kid, he's going to take care of you. And even if you say things like David did, God is faithful. He's faithful and he's a friend that will stick close to us no matter what and is always with us. And he's not going to leave David. He's not going to forsake David, even though David is making a bad choice here. He's running to the enemy out of despair and discouragement. And so let's see what happens now in verse 2 as he goes uh, over to the enemy. Verse 2, again, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Verse 2, it says, Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Well, that same guy he ran to before and acted crazy when he was by himself? Well, now that he's got 600 men, he's got an armed fighting force, and Achish sees some kind of benefit in letting David defect over to him. And we'll see some benefit that he receives as a result of this as we read on. But notice that he takes with him his 600 men. You see, other people are impacted by the decisions that we make. We may think, well, I'm only hurting myself. But no, that's not the case. Other people are impacted by the decisions that we make. And David is taking with him these 600 men who are loyal followers of his leadership. Verse 3, so David dwelt with Achish in, at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him 
no more. So it worked. He sought him no more. But David has deserted his assignment by God in Judah, where he was a light in a godly presence. Remember when he was there and the city of Keilah was besieged by the Philistines? And he came and did what? Rescued them. His presence was needful in that region. He gave his enemies a reason to reproach him, and his friends couldn't defend him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, and the Apostle Paul ends with, therefore, hey, because you have this great hope of resurrection, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You may not get earthly reward. You may not get earthly recognition. But there is a host of heaven who is observing. And there are rewards to be had in heaven, friends. There is a resurrection. And there is a forever beyond this present life as we know it and understand it. And so with that in mind, we are to be steadfast. We are to be immovable. We are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means rebuking, discouragement, despair. It means staying faithful. You know, there's always ministry to be done wherever we are and whatever we're doing. If you're ever like, gosh, I wish I had a ministry, walk out your front door and go for a, a walk for three miles and just say, God, use me on this walk and watch what God does. You will bump into people. When I go for a walk from this church and I just, on my way out, grab a few tracks and go, if, I'll just hand them out if I feel like it, you know? No pressure. I'm not going to pressure myself. Every time when I do it, and I always feel, when I head out, I feel like, yeah, I'm probably not going to hand any out. But then once I get out there and I'm just praying and spending time with Jesus, he puts a burden on me. And I just have to say something. <laughs> you know? Now, this might not be you, but what I'm saying is that there's ministry to be had wherever you go, whatever you're doing. Just look for it. It's ministry. We never feel like we're doing enough for the Lord. My good friend Mike Segovia, he always says, James, I'm just not doing enough for Jesus, man. I just feel like I'm not doing anything. The guy is the producer of all these Christian radio programs that are aired all over the nation. People are getting saved as he's, you know, cutting and editing and making these things good for people. I'm just not doing enough. Mike, you're doing this. It's incredible. I know, I know. I just threw you under the bus, Mike. I love you, brother. He's the producer of our radio show, by the way. What a blessing. But, you know, that's the way we all feel. Like, we just, because we owe them a debt, we can't pay. There's not enough that we could do to compensate for what he's done for us. And so we do what we can, and we keep going in the Lord. And when we're feeling discouraged, push through it. Get encouragement. You won't feel like getting out of your bed and going to church or 
being active or whatever, but do it anyway. Get yourself to church and be encouraged and be blessed and begin to worship God and be in His presence. And the Lord will bless you and encourage you. So we get to uh, David comes into Akish. Verse 5, Then David said to Akish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. Why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Akish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So David is being crafty. He's saying, hey, why should I be hanging out in the city with you? After all, we're 600 men plus families. We're a big strain on the city. Why don't you let us have a town out there in the country, away from the city? And so Akish agrees to it. And, uh, and then we get to verse 7. It says, now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Verse 8, and David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. So remember that these are Canaanite groups of people whom Israel had not driven out of the land. God had commanded them to annihilate these people, and they did not. They were not completely obedient to the Lord's command, and now David is stepping into this and perhaps even using this as a justification for his rating, the rating that he's doing. But God has not told him to do this. And then we read on in verse 9, whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel and returned and came to Akish. So Akish is seeing David come home from these raiding parties with all kinds of spoil and wealth and tribute, no doubt, to give to Akish. So Akish is going, sweet, this was a great idea to bring David in with his men. And then in verse 10, it says, then Akish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of the Jeremiahites. I wonder if my brother Jeremiah is one of those. <laughs> or against the southern area of the Kenites. So these would be people that are actually Israelites or allies of Israel. So he's actually attacking the enemies of Israel and lying and saying he's attacking Israel. It's a very cunning and dangerous game he's playing, right? Let's read on and find his rationale. Verse 11, David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So in order to maintain his cover-up, he would kill all the men and the women that would be able to tell on him. And no doubtedly justifying it in some way or another. But this was not to honor God, but to save his own skin. It was a cover-up David would follow later, as far as this pattern goes, as he would commit adultery with Bathsheba 
and then try to cover it up by having Uriah, her husband, killed. So this is not a good thing, and David is in a bad place, and he has not consulted the Lord, but instead has listened to his own heart, telling him, it's not going to work out good if I just hang out in Israel. I've got to take things into my own hands and go over here to the Philistines. There's no, there's no indication in the Bible that David had any kind of spiritual life during this time. He didn't write any psalms that we know of. There's no mention of it. He's in a dark place because of his despair and his discouragement and just taking things into his own hands instead of acknowledging the Lord. Verse 12, So Achish believed David, saying he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. <laughs> He's thinking since David's out fighting against Israel, well, they don't like him anymore. And so he's going to be my guy forever. But see, he underestimates God's grace and God's power to redeem. And what he doesn't know is that David's not even attacking Israel. <laughs> he's attacking the enemies of Israel anyway. But you see, when we play these games, it's only a matter of time before we get ourselves into a tough spot. Take a look at the next chapter. We're just going to do the first two verses of 1 Samuel 28. So 1 Samuel 28, 1 and 2. It says, About that time the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. King Achish told David, You and your men will be expected to join me in battle. David says, Very well, David agreed. Now you will see for yourself what we can do. Then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. And so now, David is trying to bluff, presumably, and say, yeah, I'll join you and go fight Israel. But he's in a tough spot. He either has to admit that he has not been attacking Israel, and that all of this thing, this has been a game. He's been playing with Achish. Or he's got to join Achish and go into battle against the people of God, his people whom he's called to lead. What's he going to do? Stay tuned. Find out next time on Calvary Chapel Anaheim. Okay. Anyway, so this was a spiritually quiet time for David until God breaks him. And we're going to find in a couple chapters, God breaks breaks him. When Ziglag is actually burned and spoiled and all of the, their families are taken away and his men turn on him and want to kill him. And at that point in time, it says that David encourages himself in the Lord. He comes back from this, this backsliding that he's been doing all because of the grace of God bringing trial into his life. And so he will find God's favor even in the midst of his own failure. That's what we call grace, friends, the unmerited favor of God despite us. And this is what we all have as Christians. It's a glorious thing. It doesn't mean you won't have discipline in your life if you stray from the Lord, but you will always be his child. And even if you stray so far that he has to take you home, he will. He's incredible. 
and his grace is so, so huge, so huge. Let's take a look at a couple of scriptures to end uh, just on this topic of God's grace. One that we recently covered in our small groups on Wednesday nights, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1, uh, starting at verse 12. I have it on the screen, but you're welcome to look it up if you want to. This is actually the Living Bible. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. By the way, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And uh, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, was a missionary for the Lord, and did all kinds of great things. Uh, Actually, the Lord did all kinds of great things through him. And it was all God's grace, and the Apostle Paul is acknowledging this right now. Verse 13, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Verse 16, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Amen. And all of us could join in with with Paul and speak similar words about God's grace in our lives and how we failed miserably, and yet God picked us up, took us out of the muck and the mire, and set our feet upon a rock. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. You know, they used to wear robes in those days, and if you had to run or work, uh, that robe would get in the way. So they would gather it up around their waistline to free up their legs, and they, it was called girding up your loins. And so he's saying, hey, gird up the loins of your mind. Be prepared to exert mental energy and to apply mental effort. Be sober, clear-minded, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We are going to have grace that is going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How beautiful, how exciting, how wonderful. If you're a believer today, if you're not a believer today, If you're not a believer today online, then you do not have this great grace. You have grace. He sends rain. That's grace. He sends the sun rises and you feel its warmth. That's grace. You have breath in your lungs and he is literally holding every atom in our bodies together. That's grace. That's grace for the believer. It's grace for the unbeliever too. 
It's grace. But until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, acknowledge your sin, humble yourself and say, I have sinned against you, the God of the universe. I deserve hell. But God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for those sins, to take my punishment, to take my pain, my grief, to bear it all on the cross with you. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. Make me new. I give my life to you, God. Thank you, Jesus. If you say that prayer or something similar to it, then you're saved. If you're here today and you've said that prayer and you meant it in your heart, then you're saved. And no matter how far you stray, he will grab hold of you and bring you back, even if he has to take you home. Not the best way to go. But he would say, surrender now. My way is the best way. My life for you is the best life. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.